so thank you all for being here on Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to um, all of our dads, or um, perhaps um, if you're like a dad to someone, we just want to celebrate you. And before we jump into our text this morning, um, this is a little loud. Can you just lower this a little bit? Um, thank you. Is that better? Feels better for me. But, um, but yeah, before we jump into our text, I just want to do something um, that I, I normally do on occasions like this because sometimes these are hard for some people. Maybe you lost a dad, um, maybe a child, uh, maybe a day like this um, brings with you some pain. Maybe that's not you at all and your, your dad is um, um, doing well and you love him and you have a relationship with him. Um, whatever, wherever you find your place um, this morning with respect to your dad, I want, I want you guys to just close your eyes. We're gonna take 10 to 15 seconds I want you to reminisce uh, about, just in your own thinking, about a good time that you shared uh, with your dad, with your kids, whoever it is that you might be thinking of right now. Um, think of a laugh, a day at the beach, a vacation you took, anything that's special to you. Take a, take a few moments to remember those things and kind of picture it in your minds. Heavenly Father, as we begin our sermon this morning, we thank you for the many gifts that you give us. The gifts of love, the gifts, the gifts of fatherhood, the gifts of children and parents. I pray, Lord God, that right now that you'd speak to us through your word, that you would encourage those who are grieving, and God, that we would rejoice with those who are rejoicing. In Christ's name, amen. So we're approaching a text this morning. And I wondered, should it's Father's Day, should I sort of veer off from this discussion about romance? Um, I chose not to, and the reason I chose not to was because fathers are a lot of things to us, aren't they? They're providers, they're mentors, they teach us crafts and trades. They're friends at times that we laugh with. So fathers are many things, but ideally, and I know that this isn't always true because we live in a broken world, but ideally a father first is a husband. And not just a husband, but a man that deeply loves his wife. To me, that is responsibility number one of being a dad, to love your children's mom in a way that is unique and beyond compare. Now, like I said, we live in a broken world, and not everyone has this story. Lives sometimes get broken apart, and this is not intended, statements like this aren't intended to guilt you or to shame you, because there's always redemption in Christ. But we look to this, this image of what a man does and how he treats the woman that he loves. The Song of Solomon pictures a man, a bridegroom, that loves his wife-to-be to the moon, would do anything for her. How, isn't it true, healthy and happy homes know this all too well. One of the greatest gifts to any home is a man and a woman that love each other. It's the first job a dad has to love his wife. As a matter of fact, if he doesn't love his wife, he'll never be a dad. Right? You fill in the blanks. There was this guy named Ernie Harwell. Have, has anyone ever heard of Ernie Harwell, if you're a baseball fan? I'm surprised my, my stepdad Dave didn't raise his hand in the back, because he knows baseball trivia like the back of his hand. Well, Ernie Harwell used to call uh, Detroit Tigers games for 40 years. He would call the plays, and he would be the guy doing that. Kind of like, who's the guy that does that for the Red Sox? What is it? Yeah, Remy, right? He's got that restaurant, or used to. So Ernie Harwell did this for the Detroit Tigers for 40 years, and he was actually also known for opening every single season with a reading from the Bible. Did you know that? So every game, every game opener for the Tigers, he would read from Scripture. The very first game he opened, his very first time he opened for the Tigers, you know, 40, 40 years prior to his very long career, 
he read a scripture text from what we read this morning. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone, the flowers appear on the earth, the time of singing has come, and the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. This is what Ernie Harwell read, the, the opening game. And you can kind of get it, it's spring, birds are chirping, but we know from reading this scripture, of course, that this passage is not about baseball, right? <laughs> this passage is not about baseball. It is about the profound romance shared between what is soon to be husband and wife. The sights and the sounds and the smells of spring sort of serve as the backdrop for this bridegroom and what he's describing is his situation, his invitation to his soon-to-be wife, the woman he loves. And he says this. This is his invitation. Arise, beautiful one, and come away with me. Arise, beautiful one, come away with me. The time for waiting is past. Loneliness and isolation are at an end. Arise, beautiful one, and come away with me. Now, if any of, any of you in this room have ever heard someone say something like this to you, I know most of us men aren't that articulate. We're more like Rocky Balboa. I want to know if you might marry me and stuff. <laughs> right? That's kind of, that's how it comes out for most of us. But this is Solomon. This is a poet. This is a guy that wrote thousands of songs. Right? So he says, arise, beautiful one, come away with me. If you've ever been at the other end of someone sort of looking at you like this, though they might not have been able to kind of articulate it so poetically, you know the exhilarating feeling of love. The time for waiting is past. And friends, you might be here tonight wishing that someone would say those words to you. You might be wishing that the person that's supposed to say those words to you would say them to you your husband or your wife. Maybe your marriage is falling apart. Maybe you've been single for far too long. Maybe you've never heard anyone say anything like this to you or treat you with such sweet affection. But I'm here to tell you this morning that this is so much more, this story is about so much more than our relationship with each other. This is about God's love for you. This is the divine creator speaking to you and I. Arise, beautiful one, and come away with me. Imagine Christ, the creator of heaven and earth, the one who formed your heart and mind, looking at you in the pupils of your eyes. Arise, beautiful one, come with me. I got something to show you. I want you to be with me. That's what it means to be a Christian. If you don't know what it means to be a Christian, that's what it means to be a Christian. It's not religion. It's not, say, it's not theological platitudes. We believe this about the afterlife and about God. It's not abstract. It's, it is a passionate, romantic, love relationship with the creator of all things. That's why he made you. And that's why he made me, according to the scriptures to arise, and to go with him. So this morning, I want to track the path of romance to our creator, to our divine lover of our hearts. I want, to, I want to mark what is a healthy love relationship between a man and a woman, but also see how this identifies ourselves with, our, with the greater bridegroom, Jesus Christ. And I see four progressions here in our text. Pursuit, invitation, anguish, and discovery. We're going to talk about those four things. So number one, we're going to look at pursuit. <clears throat> a good dad, a good spouse, every love relationship with God are going to know all four of these things. They're going to know a pursuit, an invitation, anguish. Oh, that's the tough one. We'll get to that soon. And discovery. Have you ever put a jigsaw puzzle together with your kids or with your husband, wife, whatever, friends? Now, and I'm not talking about like the little kid one where there's four pieces. Right? It's the shape of a train, and you put it into the train hole, 
in the thing, right? I'm talking about, you know, 500,000, one of those really big ones, jigsaw pieces. I don't, know, I don't know if you're like me, but the thing that I need to complete, to start and to complete a jigsaw puzzle is the box top. That's the first thing I look at. What, what am I putting together? What is this supposed to look like? It, gets, it gives us a point of reference, doesn't it? If you don't have that top, you dump all the pieces. Now, it's still possible, and I know all you nerds out there, oh, I could do it, and I could do it in an hour. All right, good for you. But I couldn't. <laughs> right, I need that box top. I need to see what it looks like. The top of the, the box is the perfect picture. It's the image you're, you're using to arrange what is that mess on the table. And what a great example this is of our lives in relationship with each other. That our lives are broken. We don't treat each other well. We hurt each other. We injure each other. Even, even in our relationship with God, it seems like a jumbled mess. It seems confusing. You're not so, you don't really know what it's supposed to look like. But the Bible provides us with the box top. Jesus Christ is the top of the box. This man and this woman in the Song of Solomon for marriage is the top of the box. Now you look at this and you think these two are just too perfect. This isn't real. This is like a Hollywood kind of thing. It's made up. You, you, you need to walk a day in my shoes with my wife or my husband. This is not how it goes. Well, agreed. This is an ideal situation. Not many people can, can live up to the kind of love that we see displayed in the Song of Solomon. Life doesn't work that seamlessly, correct? But the song is meant to give us the, the top of the box, the image. It's not to discourage us in our messy imperfections, but it's to encourage us and to instruct us to know where the pieces go, to begin to put it together, to show us why it's messy to begin with. You see, without the, the top, we would never know these things. We're the broken pieces that need to be put back together. And the first thing that we need to learn is about pursuit. Verses 8 through 9 in Song of Solomon, we only read a section of what is the larger section I'm speaking from today. So if you have your Bibles, you can journey and find the book of Psalms, or you can go on your phone app and just type in Song of Solomon. We, just don't text, you know, the person in front of you, Okay. But go, go to the Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. It says this in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. And if you don't know where the Song of Solomon, you have a Bible, it's right near Psalms. If you're in the book of, go to about the middle of the Bible, you'll hit Psalms and then start going right, and you'll run into the Song of Solomon. This is what it says in chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle, like a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. So this is the, the, the bride-to-be describing her bridegroom's pursuit. And if I could summarize verses 8 through 9, I would, I would simply say it like this. Love tirelessly, sacrificial, sacrificially, and relentlessly pursues the person loved. Love tirelessly, sacrificially, and relentlessly pursues the person loved. And they do it, underline, joyfully. It is their joy, their pleasure to pursue now, we left these two lovebirds probably in 16, 17, 18 years old, um, whoever they're talking about in the scripture text, is a picture of two young people in love about to be married. Last time we spoke of them, they were literally wrapped up in each other's arms. His arms were behind her head, behind her back. They were on a path to somewhere where she had to say, we got to slow it down, <laughs> right? And she says, do not awaken love before it's time. Recall? they got to put the brakes on. And apparently some distance is created again. 
because they're not married yet, okay? So this momentum is being built between the two of them. And he is pictured as a sort of superhero, right? Leaping over mountains. How, how many people have ever felt when they were in, in puppy love for the first time that you could actually jump over this building? I, I probably could have done it. I probably could have. Maybe, maybe in two jumps. But it wouldn't have taken that much. I could have jumped over it. So she pictures him like a superhero jumping over mountains, not letting any distance um, obstacles stand in their way. Nothing can come between them. When he arrives to her home, he doesn't waste any time with anybody else. He's not talking to the gardener to ask him how he makes the grass so green. He, he doesn't stop in at the market, the market for some juji fruits, right? He goes right to her house and starts like a creep leering through the window. Where is she? The, you know what a lattice is, right? She, he's peeking through. He's trying to find her. He's not a pervert. He just loves her. He wants to be with her. He's looking for her. So he doesn't waste any time. He has a singular vision, a singular focus. Now I gotta stop here and I gotta talk to husbands. And if you're a dad, dads, do your kids see a dad that loves their mom like this, that looks for her, that wants her? You see, friends, that's the call to fatherhood, to hunt down the mom because you love her, because you can't live without her. Do you pursue your wives like this or has something happened? Have you started to look through another window, a different lattice, the lattice of fame or fortune or popularity? God forbid, through the lattice of another woman. And wives, how about you? You're not off the hook, okay? Because later on, we'll see this in a moment, the woman does the same thing. She says, I sought him whom my soul loves. She's after him too. Did you know, underline this, take a note, write it down. You will seek what you love. You won't sit around and wait for it. If you love something, you're going after it. How many people can say amen to that? If you truly love something, pursuit is not even something you need to be taught. It just happens. And friends, the greater question that we have to ask is do we love God like this? Do we see God peeking through the lattice of our soul? Are we waiting to hear his voice and his pursuit? Do we want to be pursued by him? You see how important this is? Do you show up at his window, bounding over mountains, to see the Lord? You know what the psalmist wrote? With my whole heart I seek you. With my whole heart I seek you. Oh friends, I know, and I can say this by my own testimony, that I do not seek the Lord like this man sought this woman. My heart gets cold. It gets hard. It gets forgetful. I forget the passionate love sacrifice, diligence of my God in heaven and what he wants with me. And I peek through everybody else's window but his. Isn't that true? There's so many windows out there and I bring my Windex because I want to see through them. But God's window is there and it's clean and it's ready. Go to his window, friend. You know what God returns the sentiment to? When Israel sought for rest, the Lord appeared to him. From far away he came. I have loved you, Israel, with an everlasting love and with loving kindness I sought you. He says in Ezekiel, I will seek the lost. I will come after you. I will find you. There is no place so secret or so hidden that I can't find you in because our God is leaping over mountains to peek through your window because he loves you. Look his way, friend. Friend, who are you looking for through the window? And who are you waiting for 
to look at you through the window. Friends, as wonderful as romance is, the first and ultimate pursuit is with our God. And I would even challenge you to consider that for, for romance to work between a husband and a wife, you've got to know that romance first. It really makes it come alive in a new way. So here's the pursuit. He shows up and he begins to speak and he speaks words. He invites her. Verses 10 through 14 talk about this. He says, arise, my love, beautiful one, and come with me. Arise, beautiful one, and come away with me. Do you know that all love requires a change? Whenever you love anyone or anything, you are turning from something in your life and going to that other thing. It requires decision. It marks a change, a new direction. She can't stay home if she's to go with him. She has to leave. You see? She's got to leave home. And how many people know that in marriage, one of the difficult parts, one of the tensions, one of the struggles, one of the points of conflict in marriage is often because we never left home. We don't see our new relationship as a priority. We're still taking calls from mom and dad. We base our jobs on what they want, where we live on what they want. We don't base it on the, the effect, the new direction of this new relationship. I'm not saying marriages, people in marriage are to disrespect or dishonor their parents, but there's a new direction. We leave home. She can't stay home if she's to go with him. It requires her to leave. So she is saying no. Also, consider this. She is saying no to any other potential visitor at her window. When she says yes and she leaves with him, she's saying yes to this one person and no to everybody else. You know that I'm married. You guys know that? Right? I got a wife. She's awesome. She's taking care of my crying kid right now in the back. Okay? One day we got married, and they do something in weddings called the Declaration of Consent. It's not the vows. The vows come later. The, the Declaration of Consent is basically the pastor is asking the bride and groom a question. Do you promise to love this person till death do you part? Right? What do they say at the end? I do. Right? I do. Now, when I said I do to my wife, I said I don't to everyone in this room. Kind of rude, right? No. Kind of tough? That you, right, it's not. It's not at all. And nobody in this room thinks it is. We all know in our gut that that's how it's supposed to be. I do to you, and I don't to everybody else. I do to you, and I don't to everyone else. Not just everyone in this room, by the way. <laughs> There's a broader scope. Every single woman that I ever put my eyes on, I'm saying I don't to. That's a lot of negativity, isn't it? But you see, what I'm getting, though, is a lifelong affection of union with my bride. That's what I'm saying yes to. I do to her, I don't to everyone else. And friends, that marks a healthy love relationship and marriage. And, and by the way, this marks the beginning of God, God's invitation to come away with him. Because when you say yes to God, he is your point of reference now. He trumps everybody else. If he says move here, from here to there, you do it. Because you love him, you're going away with him. You're saying yes to him and no to every other potential fake God out there. You have no devotion no worship to anyone but God in heaven. You see, friends, that's what it means to be a Christian, and that's why God so often compares it to marriage. Because to become a Christian means that he has me, that he is mine, and I am his. And if he tells me to move to the Sudan to preach the gospel to the lost, then I do it. Because where he goes, I go. My beloved is mine, and I am his. Trusting in God, receiving his loving invitation 
means that we're bound to him where he goes. We go. His vision is our vision. His goals are our goals. It changes everything. Everything changes. His purpose is our purpose. We go away with him. Our relationship with God through Jesus is as our relationship to our spouse. It requires that we leave home. And if that sounds like bad news to you, let me show you some good news in verses 11 and following. It says this, For behold, now remember verse 10, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, come away. For behold, the winter is behind you. The rain is over and gone. The flowers appear on the earth. The time of singing has come. The voice of the turtle dove is in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs. What it's saying here is the puzzle is getting put together. It's not confusion anymore. It's not a jumbled mess. It's together. It's springtime. You see, to go away with God isn't to, isn't to grieve the things that we leave behind. It's to find ourselves who he made us to be, really made us to be. And when we accept that loving invitation to go away with our good God, with our creator, it means that we're not in the winter anymore. We're not in the clouds of confusion or despair. We know our maker and he knows us. We know our purpose and we know his. We know that our end is good. There's no more mystery anymore. There's no more confusion. He calls us beautiful. So all of us who are insecure about our worth, about our loveliness, our, about our attractiveness, if that suits you, we know it now because he declares it so. Before the beauty, there was winter. Away from God, disconnected, confused, broken, lost in sin, an incomplete jigsaw puzzle, a mess on the table, and it seems impossible to piece together. But Jesus' death on the cross dresses us in new clothes, adorns us with God's affection, forgives us of our sin, all of our ugliness is gone, and he clothes us with his beauty. In Christ, the winter is over, and we simply respond to his invitation. Isn't that great news? And you know what she says in response? Oh, my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face. I'll follow you anywhere. I, 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 in, into the deepest ocean, into the highest mountain. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. Oh, the lovely face of our Lord that bids us to come with him wherever he goes. The sweet sound of his voice that calls us his love, his beauty, the one he died for. Oh, friends, if you're married every moment of every day, that should be your invitation to your wife. Arise, beautiful one, and come with me. You want a life with your spouse, not apart from them. Do you look forward, let's take a little bit of a, you know, a pulse, a marriage pulse, if you're married. Do you look forward to when your spouse leaves? <laughs> Too many laughs going on, right? Now, some of that's healthy, so don't, don't take this the wrong way. Are you sort of relieved when they're going on a long trip? Do you sort of like breathe a sigh? Ah, get some space. Is that what your marriage has become? Where you just don't want to be around each other anymore? I'm not talking about sometimes our need for solitude, hanging out with our friends. I get it. We need that. I'm talking about, in general, there is a chronic frustration with their presence. Something's wrong. What happens to the, arise, my beloved, my beautiful one, come with me. I want you with me. I don't want to be apart from you. I have couples from time to time say to me, and you've probably heard this, that we're staying together for the sake of the children. Really? What? Where, where's that part? I missed that. Do you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to say something, and it might challenge a little bit, and it might sting a little bit, but that is wicked. That is wicked. 
Do you think that you're going to trick your kids by faking it? Do you really think that? Your, your, your children need more than a mom and dad that love them. Your children need a mom and dad that love each other more than anything. You see, oftentimes when we build fam- families, we start thinking the opposite. My life is about my kids now. I don't really like this person on the side of me, but it's all I got, right? We got to get this done. We got to raise our kids. And you lose something. And I, I don't, again, I don't say this to guilt or shame anyone because praise God, the blood of Christ makes this a new day with a new opportunity to love again. Friend, there is no better news than for a son to hear his dad say to his mom, Arise, beautiful one, my love, and come with me. That's what your little boy needs to see. He needs that more than the ability to pitch a curveball, to learn how to balance a checkbook. He needs more than someone getting them out of the bed in the morning and teaching them how to work 40, 50 hours a week. He needs those things too, but he needs most of all someone that loves his mom. He needs that. And friend, okay, there is no music sweeter to our ears than when we hear the voice of our God inviting us to the same. The king of all creation calling out to each one of us, arise, beautiful one, and come away with me. And if I'm kind of bumming you out right now because maybe you wish you had somebody, you're single or married, and you just wish you had someone that would say this to you, well, good news, you do. And he's better. He's actually the one you want to say this to you. You've thought your whole life that it was about the person on the side of you, but it's not. You, what you really want is God to say this to you. For, you, for him to invite you to come to the ends of the earth with him. You, friends, you're not beneath that love. God is not some cosmic, impersonal force. You haven't done something so bad that you're not worthy of his love. Friends, l- well, let me say it like this. We are all unworthy of his love, but Christ became our unworthiness, and we become his worthiness by grace through faith. All of his beauty is put on us. And we receive that invitation from our good God, our maker, our father, the better dad, the better bridegroom. Come away with me. Arise, my beloved. Oh, do you believe that? Is that what makes your heart beat in your chest? Or, or is it is easy to pull off by some, some guy putting his hand on your hand? I I get it, that's awesome. I don't mean to demean that, whatever. But my point is, do you love God like this? Does he hate make your heart palpitate? Do you want to be with him like you want to be with a lover? From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life he died. Pursue, invite, anguish. Number three. You say, okay, now you're speaking my language, man. Okay, I've had love, and that's the one I know the most. Okay, anguish, chapter 2, verses 15, through chapter 3, verses 3. So this invitation, so the pursuit, the man's jumping over mountains, he shows up, he creeps through a window, and then he speaks, come away with me forever, my beloved wife, my, my beloved, right? These are his words. Shocking enough, this invitation goes out. The girl accepts the invitation because you remember, remember what she says, like in the cracks of the rock, I'll go with you. But she doesn't accept it immediately. The girl accepts the invitation, but not right away. They return to where they came from. A space is created, awaiting. He asks her hand in marriage, She says yes, but they don't get married right away. It's not time for celebration yet. It's not time for wedding bells. They they simply promise to be married to each other, much like when you get engaged, right? Their union is not realized 
It's just pledged. It's hoped for. Let me paraphrase chapter 2, verse 15, through chapter 3, verse 3. She says, catch the foxes for us that spoil the vineyards. There's a lot of imagery happening here. Catch the foxes for us that spoil the vineyards. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies, but turn, my beloved. Be like a gazelle. Get out of here, she's saying. She's saying, okay, yes, I'll come with you, and I want to come with you, and I'll follow you to the ends of the earth, but for now, go away. That's my paraphrase of this, this passage. And a distance begins. And you know what happens? That distance creates anguish, and she starts to dream. She's dreaming about this guy now. And she's having a recurring dream. Let's read it. In chapter 3, verse 1. On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves. She's dreaming. And you know that the word sought means continually. I continually sought him. So this sort of indicates that it's a recurring dream. She's dreaming about him a lot, right? On my bed by night, I sought him whom my soul loves, but I did not find him. I will rise now, and I will go about the city. I will seek him whom my soul loves. I sought him, but I did not find him. Vineyards, this phrase, vineyards in the spring, that we read earlier, catch the foxes for us that spoil the vineyards in the spring. Vineyards in the spring is an analogy for being of marriageable age. In other words, your bodies are mature enough to be married. You've gone through puberty. Okay, that's what it's saying. But, but friends, what this is highlighting, our passage here, going through puberty is not the only kind of maturity that you need to be married. Right? So she's saying, yes, I'm ready. The vineyards are ready, but go away. I'm ready physically, but emotionally and spiritually, we need to wait. And what a, what a great word for us in our lives as single people. We feel these incredible emotions at times. Wisdom comes, though, when we realize I'm not ready. So I won't stir up love before it's time. See? It takes a lot of maturity for young people to be able to do that. Not many have it. Their vineyards though physically ready, need to be protected until they're emotionally and spiritually ready. And part of that discovery, well, how do you know that? Part of that discovery comes from our community of faith and other mature folks around us, like moms and dads. Catch the foxes, she says. That's plural. It doesn't mean you catch the fox or I catch, catch the fox. There's a community of people preventing these foxes from, from spoiling the fruits, if you can get the imagery. So their relationship was accountable to a larger community. And friends, let me say this. Sexual trans transgression always begins in secret. Always. They agree that he's to be like a gazelle and get out of there because they're not quite ready yet in verse 17. She says, go back. This is basically what she, she was saying. Go back to the, the mountain you jumped over Go back there before you started leering through my window. You need to go back because we're not ready for marriage. And he agrees. They're saying yes to marriage in the future, but they're saying no to immediate physical gratification. Did you hear that? They're saying yes to a future marriage, but no to immediate physical gratification. So he re returns back over the hill he came from, and their hearts languish for each other in their absence. Did you know that there's a difference between anticipation and fear? You guys might be able to recall a time when, we're, when you were young, like a little kid, and Christmas was coming. Now, um, if you were like me, my parents generally put out the gifts uh, under, uh, my mother, I should say, put out the gifts when I was little under the tree well before Christmas, and it was torture, right? <laughs> We had to see all these boxes with our names on them. But there's a difference between anticipation and fear. When I saw those gifts as a young boy under the tree with my name on them, it didn't make me sad or afraid. Some, I knew that something good had been prepared for me. Some, someone that loved me was making something ready for me, had a good gift for me. 
I wasn't able to open it right now, but that was okay. I was okay with it because I knew one day I will be able to. Something is missing presently, but because I know a good gift is waiting for me, it actually makes my present lack a joy. You see, that's what the Bible calls hope. Because we have a confidence that soon it won't be missing. Christmas Day will come, Christmas Eve. I could talk my mom, I was such a good salesman as a young boy. I could always talk my mom into opening one before Christmas Day. Just one, mom, just one. And okay, I'll pick it. Deal. Okay, you pick it. I think I started with two, because that's what negotiation does. Then I, I, got, I got her down to one, and I let her pick it, and I had my way. Um, she starts to dream of this, of, of what she's missing. And she's going through the anticipation, the withdrawals. of She's lacking his presence, but know it's soon to be. Someone once said that separation is one of the trials of being truly in love. We sort of hinted at this earlier. And that the people we love most are never so present as when they're gone. So she begins to dream about her fiancé. My wife dreams about me every night. Still, and I her. <laughs> the bridegroom leaves, and the, the immediate concern is when will they be t together again? Like right when, she, right when he goes back home, the immediate concern is when will we be reunited? Because she wants to be with him. Her singular focus is the wedding day, is to be joined with him in marriage, to accept his invitation. And there's a bit of anguish in between, a bit of concern. So she leaves, she gets up in her dream, in this dream sequence. She leaves and she goes into the village. She starts looking for him tirelessly and she doesn't quit looking. She's willing to fight to find him, to face any danger looking for him. She asks anybody, have you seen him? Oh, friends, do you still look for your spouse? Where are they? Is it not okay with you to be emotionally, spiritually, or physically distant from them? It shouldn't be okay with you. Oh, and the greater question, the better question, the more important question, do you pant for God like this? Do you desire intimacy with him? That even just the little bit, the little bit of lack that we have, we just dream to be united with our good God in heaven. You know that the Christian is promised to be betrothed to the King of kings and Lord of lords, to be united with our God when Christ comes. The bride is made ready, right? That's the image. When Christ comes then we'll be fully united to our good God through Christ forever and ever. In the meantime, we get a, a piece of it in our spiritual lives. We're betrothed to him. We have a relationship with our God. We can speak with him. But the wedding day hasn't happened yet. He's gone in the Gospel of John to prepare a place for us. We're not fully United to him. And Corinthians says, now we know in parts, but then we will be fully known. You see, it's a joy to know that we're betrothed to our good God. But does it, do you languish, do you anticipate, do you desire the moment where you actually see him face to face? Do you look forward to it? Do you dream about it? Does it consume your thoughts? Do you love your God like that? Because, my friends, my concern is that the spiritual life is just going to shrivel up and die. This church is going to be useless if it's filled with people who don't love our God like this. Because that's why he saved you. He, doesn't, he didn't save you to fix up your life, to give you money, to get you married, to get you kids. He, get, he saved you to get you looking through his window. To arise and to go away with him. To bounce over mountains in pursuit of him. That's why he saved you. To have your soul united to his 
And oh, and friend, let me just ask you again. Is your soul united to him? Have you found the one your soul loves? Oh, I hope that you do. I hope that you discover him, number four. Scarcely had I passed him, this is the last part of her dream, when I found him whom my soul loves, I held him and I wouldn't let him go. I brought him to my mother's house and into the chamber of, of her who conceived me. Now, she's not being too subtle here. She's saying, I found him and we went into the bedroom. We got married. Now, again, this is a dream, right? So they're not in the actual story. They're not married yet. But in her dream, this is what's happening. I'm following him. I'm finding him. And then we're married. We're united. We're one. Their soul love is supercharged their soul love has supercharged their physical attraction. I found the one my soul loves, not the one my body loves. Not the one that I think is hot, right? So good looking. My soul loves you. I love your soul. I love inside of you, your guts. What makes you tick, that's what I love. And when that happens, soul love supercharges physical attraction. I found him, she says, and and she, she begins a marriage with him. She brings him home. She puts him on display to, to her parents. They, they, they're wed. That's her dream. All our lives, we're looking tirelessly for the ones our soul loves. Isn't that true? Isn't that true, friend? Your whole life, you've been doing this. You've been looking around for the one that your soul loves. Well, let me in introduce you to Jesus Christ, because his is the only clean window. We look in all the wrong places and we relentlessly pursue and invite all of these false suitors, false gods that can't satisfy our deepest needs. Oh, find Christ, the better, bride, the better bridegroom. There's another face looking at you through that lattice. It's the creator of all the earth. And he bids you, arise, come away with me, my beautiful one. There, she closes, and I'll close. Again, the same morning. After all, she wakes up from this dream. She says, okay, daughters of Jerusalem, I'm going to say this again. By the, the gazelles or the does of the field, don't stir up or awaken love. Now she just had a pretty spicy dream, right? So she wakes up and realizes we're not married yet. I can't awaken this yet. It's the second time that we hear this warning. But friends, it's not just a warning about preserving purity and saving yourself for marriage. And it's not just about marrying the right person at the right time. I think it includes those things. But it says something deeper to us. That we are not to give our soul to any other false god. We are only to give it to God in heaven. I adjure you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or the does of the field, do not stir up love and give it away to the wrong person. You see, the message to us in our faith is do, don't worship everything but God. We have a tendency of doing that. Don't chase everyone but God. Chase him. So husbands, let me close this. Dads, how are you pursuing your wives? Do you still invite them to be with you wherever you go? Do you languish in their absence? Do you pursue union with them? I hope this morning <clears throat> we might all be able to hear also and respond to the invitation of our lovely Lord who invites us to the same. Arise, beautiful one, come away with, with me to look for him through the lattice, to accept his invitation, to languish his absence, and to hope and look forward to his union. Amen? Let's bow our heads and pray. Oh God, I pray, Lord, that Jesus Christ is the one that our souls love. I pray, Lord, in the jigsaw mess of our lives that sometimes include relationships, friendships, boyfriend, girlfriend relationships, husband, wife relationships, we find ourselves in such a mess. But the king of all creation invites us to look up through the window and see him. Friend, if you don't know Jesus Christ, did you know that he died for your sin so that he could be with you forever, so that he could invite you, so that he could say these words to you, arise, beautiful one, come away with me.
He died for you to make that possible. All the brokenness of your sin has gone away in Christ. He died for it. Can I ask you to respond to that invitation this morning to arise and go away with your Lord? Would you cry out to him right now if you never have before? God, save me a sinner. Dress me in your clothes. Give me your beauty so that I can come away with you. Friends, if that's you, you are his and he is yours forever. And he promises to never leave you and to never forsake you. God, I pray for the rest of us if we know Christ already that we would stop looking down and start following Jesus. Revive us. Awaken us. Restore our first love. I pray, Lord, that we would remember all that you've done for us now as we turn to communion in Christ's name. Supper has been part of the weekly worship service of gathered followers of Jesus since the birth of the church. It is a practice the local church is instructed to perform regularly and soberly. At Refuge Church, we approach the table with reverence and gratefulness as we serve Jesus together as members of his body. Receiving the Lord's Supper is a public declaration of faith in Jesus Christ, marked by a new affection for him willingness to follow and obey him. It is an identification with Jesus and his people. If you are not yet a follower of Jesus, we ask you to simply observe the church in their demonstration of faith and love to Jesus and to each other, and to do 